Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our seven listeners joining us today. <laughs> joining me is my good friend, Jack Napton. What's up, buddy? How you doing? How you staying busy? Hey, Trout. Um, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm staying busy. Just got done with my internship. I have been golfing a lot because I'm trying to take advantage of the weekday rates because I guess in a month I'm never going to have that luxury again. So uh, just golfing, moving in and out of a new place. That's about it, man. Quarantine. So I'm ready to get back in the green space. How about you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like – no one can ever – like, right now, no one can answer, like, how, how are you, like, good. No one's good right now. It's just <laughs> – it's just how it's going right now. That sounds great. Yeah, golf sounds like a great way to get out and be outside. You know, I, I agree. Uh, I'm trying to stay busy doing this. I'm taking class right now. Uh, but, yeah, your internship, what was that like? Uh, it was good, man. It was in uh, wealth management, and I am staying on full-time in that aspect so i'm gonna be learning a lot about uh finance and dealing with high net worth clients um you know they say mo money mo problems <laughs> so uh yeah it's it's not all uh, cupcakes and lemonade when you have a lot of money of course yeah yeah no yeah i i agree with that so your background um as as far as i know is in personal finance uh, wealth management so in baseball, a lot of the decisions made are driven by finance. So can you talk about how finance has an impact in terms of like contracts on a game or any other, anything else with that? Yeah, I mean, basically, um, if I'm a GM and I'm thinking of a contract and, and what I don't understand by these lifetime contracts is in, it's like, what do I value you in the future at today? Um, what I, what I don't understand by these big contracts that like Bryce Harper gets and all these, uh, new up and coming, it seems like every time someone signs a contract, it's like the biggest contract in MLB history or any other sport rather like you're going to pay, like I get it to like bring them in cause you want to win now. But like, what is Bryce Harper to you worth when he's 40 years old? Like, how are you going to know that? That's what I don't understand. I, I like the sort of teams that take contracts like no more than like six years, but I feel like that's a rarity now because people want security um, and that they're just adapting to the times. Like, look, I'm willing to forego the uncertainty if you're going to come into my club and help me win a championship right away. Yeah, yeah, sense. no, it's um, it is pretty interesting, like the number of teams that are willing to sign guys until they're – 40. Um, the GM of the Nationals talked about this when he signed Jason Worth to an unprecedented seven-year, $126 million deal. He said the idea is for him to be worth the contract in the first three to four years of that. And then in the last two, three years, we're just going to eat it. Like this, like, yeah, well, this is yeah, almost like an upfront sort of like, look, you're going to be worth more. And then you're you're we're gonna be stealing from you up front and then you're gonna be stealing the money back from us on the latter end like i guess in a perfect world like harper when he's 37 or 38 it's like yeah we've won two national championships you've won a triple crown and shit like you paid us our dues like now you get yours sort of thing yeah no it, it's uh, really interesting and 
I, because there's all these metrics now with player valuations, it, it, I'd be very excited to see the first player that signs a deal that says, okay, if I am worth this much in a season, this is how much I'll be paid. And it's kind of like on like a sliding scale with that. I'd be super interested to see a contract like that. Or what we're also not seeing a lot of is like the front loaded contracts. Um, because you figure players will want more of the money now. But yeah, go ahead. Right. I mean, obviously, basic rule of finance is like you want any dollar, you want any dollar in your hand today because every day it loses value. But, and once again, from a GM perspective, not a player perspective, I guess they're trying to give players more of the power, but uh, like with collective bargaining, whatnot, stuff like that. But uh, like Manny Machado, 10 year deal, like, dude, you want to really be locked in 10 years on a guy that obviously is very, very uh, rare, very skilled, very athletic. But like, say he blows an ACL in five years, you just eat five years. So it's 10 years, 300 million. So you're giving him 30 million a year. Like you might, you might have to eat like 150 million of that, of that. Yeah, no, and that, that's been a concern with Machado when he signed that because he's had two knee injuries. That's what I mean. It's like teams are willing to be like, look, I don't even care. Like, the chance, the boom versus bust, it's like I'm willing to take the chance of, like, just you changing our franchise versus us just, like, eating this money. Yeah, no, it, it's super interesting, especially – I know if I was ever talented enough, I know I would want to sign like a front loaded deal just because of like the NPV, the net present value. Um, so just as an example, Garrett Cole, he signed a nine year deal, $324 million. So 30 and the deal is $36 million every single year. So I understand that you've actually found the net present value of that, what the money is actually worth today. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so when you when you look at the net present value, you're pretty much saying a sum so a summation of these cash flows in the future, what are they worth today? So pretty much Garrett Cole in for the next nine years today, using a very, very conservative discount rate of three percent, is worth two hundred eighty million dollars today. In hand, Garrett Garrett Cole at face value is worth two hundred eighty million dollars. Are you out of your mind? I don't know. Like how, how, I don't know how people are valued. Like Strasburg got a seven year, $245 million deal with recent health concerns. Like it's just the risk, the risk seems very high, but once again, the Nats just won a championship. So it's like, how do you bundle all that in? Because once again, like they have guys like Strasburg and Scherzer, but they also have guys that are getting way underpaid that they can make do with. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting, like, the way the sport works is the youngest guys or the newest guys in the league, they get paid just over a half million dollars compared to the guys who are getting paid 30, $36 million a year worth $280 million instead of the three twenty four. But, like, and the Yankees know the last three, four years of that aren't probably going to be too good. So, like, what are you really buying now? It, right. I mean, that's why you see teams try to trade players, take advantage of a, a crappy tr- contract, get some form. But in those those teams like the Yankees, it's like, dude, we are good enough to get to the playoffs without you. 
Like, you cannot even play. But if you can show up in the playoffs and get us to a World Series, all that money is worth it. Yeah. No, yeah. So, it, it's yeah, different for every team. Obviously, our team that we met, like, we talk about a lot, the Pirates, they have a whole different take. But uh, it's definitely interesting, like, that I'm going to look at Garrett Cole and I'm going to look at him and say, hey, right now, looking at you face-to-face, you are worth $280 million. Yeah, and that's not even counting the previous contracts he's earned. Like, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Absolutely not. So, a big problem along with the big contracts is these guys think they can just spend money however they want. Um, but a sad aspect of that is a lot of these guys do tend to go broke rather quickly, even with the millions of dollars uh, they're earning. So as a wealth management person, what would you advise these players to do with their millions and millions and millions of dollars? Are you telling them, hey, go have all the fun you want? Are you telling them, hey, invest everything, good combination of both? Like, given Garrett Cole's contract, like, what would you advise him to do? Right, so I think it's different for a guy like Garrett Cole. I'd get more into rookie contract. A guy like Garrett Cole has been sustainable in the MLB. Like, if he wasn't able to make any more money today, he would probably be all, just all right. So he yes. has sort of a sense of, um, like, security. Obviously, like, there's never such thing as enough money. But in, for a guy like Garrett Cole, he's got to be planning for, you know, anyone short-term mid-term long-term like hey when I retire this is what I want to do say he just wants to golf in Florida every day like yeah he might be able to spend more take risks but say he wants to like start a business do something like that well now you have to have more saved up but uh segueing that into a rookie contract so say you're a rookie you're young and you come into all that money it's let's literally like throwing a throwing a ball into the ocean like you've never seen anything like it's so easy to spend it's it's all right there um and i mean i am i have no room to talk to a major league athlete and tell him what to do with their money but basically just from seeing the crutches and the bankruptcy you definitely i think the first thing you need to do is just have goals like the first thing people probably tell you to do is like save budget. And it's like, well, no, like let's sit down and think about what you actually want to do. Obviously you're playing baseball. You want to get better. You want to get another contract, AKA a promotion in our sense. But um, like you got to have goals so that the stuff that you're doing with the money, the money doesn't seem as material. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Yeah you really want to hear like what their goals are as opposed to what you think is best. And that, and I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like, Hey, it's like, is your money? Tell me what you want to do and I'll help you get there. Regardless right. of what it is. I think a big problem is with people with those money is you have people in your corner that don't align their interests with your interests. Meaning how can I make money off this said person? Even there's malpractice in financial advising and sports agents everywhere. Um, and I think a lot of people are just so eager to tell you what to do instead of just listening to what you want to do. Um, what things you want to do that don't strictly involve investing or saving, but obviously you need money to do it. I would definitely say things to avoid are like people coming out of the woodwork, asking for money, getting trapped into a 
long-term saving option right off the bat or a long-term play right off the bat. You want to be very flexible and adaptable because if you lock all your money away and or spend all your money and something happens, you're just shit out of luck. So you're, you're pretty much all that hard work and all those hours grinding to get where you were are just wasted, essentially. So I think you need to definitely sit down, get a one, three, five plan together because what's going to happen is you're going to align your personal decisions with your financial objectives. Like meaning you're not going to go to the strip club seven nights a week and blow it. You're not going to buy an exotic tiger because who needs that? You know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to make decisions day in and day out that will align you with those goals you want to hit in the short term and midterm and long term. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Like I, I always hear like those stories of the major professional athletes that just have people coming out of nowhere, just like, Hey, you have money. Can you give it to me? Like, I, I would love that money. Like, and like what I hear is a lot of those, wealth advisors they're telling those guys like hey you just gotta learn to say no yeah i mean and it's tough to say no and even if if you can't say no it's like you have to you have to think i earned this i i don't no one is entitled to this like i got here you know what i mean like obviously your parents your family different story but people just coming out of the woodwork like oh yeah I remember that one time man like i really need this like nah like especially not for a rookie contract or something like when you just come into money, it's definitely risky. Like, that's like, I could get a better return on my investment in the market instead of giving you my money that I may or may not get back. Yeah, no, I hear that. And I think a lot of guys, the problems they run into is they have all this money. They've never had it before. Either they grew up in poverty or just grew right. up in, family where they didn't teach financial sense and then they just go and it's like all right i'll spend all my money here like oh so i feel bad about this person i'll help them out and then that sets the precedent of every person that you feel bad for you're going to give them money and it, it just starts this horrible uh ring around like yeah. the cycle yeah yeah a chain of just bad decisions and i think too the big thing about that not like you brought up just not having that education, like, Oh, I don't know what to do with my money. So some people are afraid to even address it and they just let things fall through the cracks. And that's bad. Cause that adds up. And another thing is people will, if, if you want to save people think they have to save every penny that they make. And if you want to spend, people just think they just have to blow everything they have to have fun. There's definitely a very happy medium of moderation meaning okay, maybe, maybe take a month and with this new salary and see what I'm spending on. Come back, check the credit card statements. Okay, maybe I didn't need to go out to eat like 27 times this month or maybe I should have gone out to eat more. And then you develop a budget, a rolling budget going on from there to be able to hit your goals of like, oh, I want to get this new house in Phoenix. Well, now I can't. But if you don't, if you don't know what you have and if you squeeze yourself too much, you're going to be miserable. You're not going to want to, you're not going to want to save. And if you spend too much, you're not going to be able to hit your goals. So you need to find that happy medium line and moderation of budgeting, saving and investing. Yep. No. Yeah. All great points. Uh, any last thoughts on that before we transition to any thoughts you have on the game of baseball? 
Now, nah, man, I, I just hope they uh, are able to find a way to play. I mean, the fans are hurting. The players definitely want to play. It just seems like it's a big tug of war, and there's no, there's a lot of claims thrown out, but it's, it's very extreme claims, and not, it's like they don't take baby steps, either one extreme or the other. So it, I feel like it's, it's going to be tough to get a deal, especially with all these athletes and all their demands, especially. Yeah, no, it's really an unprecedented, unprecedented event across all the four major sports. They've never really experienced something like this. Uh, in the last few years or last few decades, but yeah, no, any, um, but yeah, any thoughts on the game? Uh, previous guests have talked about uh, teams gaining advantages over each other, teams using tech, utilizing technology. Any thoughts you have on the game? What they're doing right? What they're doing wrong? What they could be doing better? Anything at all? I definitely think they made it fan friendly with pick, uh, picking up like the speeds and stuff. I know that. Um, definitely makes the classic like America's pastime baseball fan base pissed, but uh, just making the game more efficient, quicker uh, was definitely a good thing. Like the, the timers in between innings and stuff. I really like that in terms of the sign stealing, like everyone knows it's happening, but the, the, the thing that the Astros did was just way, 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 way too far. It's like sort of that thing, like, yeah, if maybe if I catch up on a sign, like I'll hold a fist out at, at, uh, when I'm on my lead, like, or like it'll go like this or something. But like the Astros were literally like blatantly cheating. And I thought it was funny too. There was a Twitter bit of the Astros players talking to the Royals, and they were getting pissed because the Royals players knew and they weren't letting the Astros cheat. I was like, what is going on right now? The Astros PR department didn't handle that too well. But, um, all right, so moving on into uh, today in baseball history. No. So, May 28, 2016, Noah Syndergaard uh, was ejected after throwing a fastball behind Chase Utley. <laughs> so there were no it, it, warnings issues, warnings issued, but everybody knew why it happened. The previous postseason, the two teams faced off, and tensions boiled over when Chase Utley slid rather hard into Mets shortstop Ruben Tejada, which actually broke Tejada's leg. The play was the leading example of the rule change for how to, for how to slide into the base. <laughs> and uh, Chase Utley made the Mets pay, though, in that same game four years ago uh, by opening the scoring with a solo home run later in the game and then adding on a grand slam as the Dodgers slugged their way past the Mets with five home runs and a 9-1 to blowout. So I guess my question to you is, as a former baseball player, what are your thoughts on the whole thing with in regards to like revenge in baseball? For it, out on it. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm for it in, until it until it makes the game like say you're in the ninth inning, you're up three nothing, you beam someone. All right, that's fine. Because I'm I'm more about winning rather than picking fights. Like if it's gonna do something to affect that, like. Like, we're going to give a batter a base or we're going to get a – one of our good players is going to get ejected. Like, not worth it to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much out on, like, the whole uh, pegging thing. It's kind of like – like, yes, I think what Chase Utley did was pretty rough there. Um, but, like, that That's was, like, the previous year. Like, no, I mean, I get it. Like, say it's the first game of the year. I mean, there's 162 games in baseball, and you got to 
it sort of shows that respect and team brotherhood sense of like, I got your back, you got my back. But sometimes it's just petty. Like, I feel like in high school, it's like, oh, yeah, dude, you beamed him. I'm like, well, guess what, dude? Like, that bruise is going to go away in two days, and he's on first base. So, like, I don't really understand the big yeah. deal. I, it's sort of like an unwritten sort of thing. Sometimes it, it's definitely fun to watch as a fan. <laughs> I'm not going to lie there. I just wanted to say, what are your thoughts on the whole revenge thing? Because to me, it's somewhat gets a little petty after a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the thing I'm most out on is when a guy flips a bat and <laughs> then they peg him the next at bat. It's like, he already beat you once. Like, you're going to let him beat you, beat you again. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm really out on that. But as a fan, it can be exciting to watch the fights. <laughs> but. No, you're 100. I'm I'm with you 100. But um, so yeah, you uh, you played baseball for a while. Um, did you have any memorable moments on the diamond? Let's get into your nostalgia around the game, dude. Yeah, I played all the way up until high school, uh, until senior year. Uh, definitely a lot of memorable moments in the tournament. Uh, tournaments for sure. My my most memorable one was probably playing in the championship at uh, our Ripken Senior uh, field in Ripken. Because, I mean, there's some, there's some very good I – mean, I know you're familiar with that stuff. I'm sure anyone who's played AAU baseball is. But there's, some, there's some teams down there, man. And if you're able to compete, you know, it's fun to go and experience it. But, like, when you're able to get on a team that competes, man, it, it's fun. It's nuts. It's everyone's into the game. I remember to send us to the championship, we were up 3-2, and we had our slow baller in because this team was really good. So we were throwing, like, 80 curveballs per 100 pitches. And um, I remember we were up 3-2, runner on second. I'm prep-stepping at the warning track at Wrigley Field in uh, Ripken. And I I pretty much robbed a home run. Like, I, like, if the fence was here, I caught the ball at the fence – to send us to the championship. So we'll, we'll say I robbed the home run, but it might have hit the fence. But either way, everyone was running out, jumping on me and shit. It was so fun. No, dude, those are the best moments, honestly. Like, uh, But, yeah, no, I agree. Like, being on a super competitive team is probably the most fun you can have uh, playing baseball. It's like you're winning, everybody's feeling good. You got like a good mesh going with the guys. But, you know, I, the Ripken tournaments are so fun and playing on like the fields, like the Wrigley Field is just awesome. But yeah, that, yeah, that's an awesome moment there. <laughs> yeah, I was very fortunate to be. I mean, my team, my teams were good, but we were never like unbelievable good, meaning like we're walking in the tournament and winning it no matter what. Like we would compete, but if we won, it was like we were playing very well. We also went to, Myrtle Beach, Ripken played on the classic fields like Shab and um, um, some of the uh, some of the other fields. Trying to think, like I think Forbes might have been one. I forget, but uh, and then we went to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, played sports at the beach. So you get to see a lot of teams and how crazy some of these parents are about their kids. Uh, and looking back on it, I'm like, dude, like, think of how crazy some of these parents were and their kids are probably just normal people in college right now, all that for nothing. But uh, <laughs> side tangent. But then um, 
Definitely going to the beach with all your friends after. It was almost like baseball was second to the beach, some of those tournaments. Oh, yeah, the sports of the beach one, man. Those, that was one of my favorites. Uh, I only went there twice, but both times I had a blast. Yeah, I was able to bring home second one time, which was cool. But, uh, I mean, driving back after a loss in the championship was not fun. Six-hour drive back, but whatever. Yeah, no, I've been there, been there. But, yeah, so going back to what you said about parents, I was very fortunate to be able to play on teams where all the parents were very likable, very easygoing. They let the coaches kind of just do their own thing, and that made the playing atmosphere that much better. Um, so, yeah, that was probably one of my most uh, grateful moments as, like, a player is just being able to have, like, a good group, good group of parents just do, like, their own thing and let the players play, the coaches coach. No, that that's dude. I tried for four or five years to get away from daddy ball. Like it's ruined like three teams I've been on. Like everyone's playing how they should. Everyone's like fair. Everyone's still getting a shot, and then someone thinks their kids freaking Mike Trout, and then it's like, all right, let's just ruin the whole team because I want my kid to play. Like, come on. Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. I've seen them, and I always cringe when I saw those teams, but um. But, yeah, so just about the game of baseball is when would you say, like, your peak interest in the sport has been? I know some people have, like, it, it fluctuates for them. Some people are super into it. Some people, they were into it, like, 10 years ago. Like, what, what, uh, what, when would you say your peak was? Dude, I would say after I broke my back in freshman to sophomore year in high school, um, and my freshman year, my rankings, like my speed, my arm strength, my bat speed, freshman year, I still made the team, but it was not good. So I had a sort of personal vendetta against myself to get better. So I was really, really working my ass off to try to improve those. And I came back my uh, senior year of high school and I was ranked overall, um, I think seventh in the whole program, but my like, I was like very chubby and slow and my overall speed in the 60 yard dash, uh, I went from 58th to fourth from freshman year to senior year. I mean, obviously puberty helps, but just sort of, you have a respect for the grind and it's like the only way to play is to get good um, and work your ass off. Uh, like daddy's, daddy's not going to be here. Mommy's not going to be here to help you get good. So that would definitely be another peak interest of mine. Yeah, no, that, that that sounds great. Yeah, the uh, the grind aspect of it. Once you've gone through it, you have such like a heightened respect for like what the guys at the pro level are doing. Yeah, man. I mean, I I respect every professional athlete to the utmost uh, ability that I can. Like, it's nuts. I mean, obviously, some of it's God given. Like, Aaron Judge is Aaron Judge. But uh, everyone in the MLB has worked their tail off to get to where they are. So it's crazy. It's like sometimes you're like, oh, they're just getting paid to play baseball. It's like, dude, like, do you know how much time and effort I put into this so you can come watch me hit bombs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Aaron Judge still went to the uh, gym every day. <laughs> like, he still goes to the gym every day to maintain, like, his muscle mass. Like, you can be tall, but – you don't you can't you don't have to be big and strong like he is same with Stan right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so you're a Yankees fan 
and then I asked you to rank your all-time top favorite players. So are there some Yankees in there? Let's hear number five, and let's go that way. Uh, we're going backwards. Okay, uh, I'm going to throw you for a loop here. So number five is going to be Michael Young of the Texas Rangers. Um, and the reason he falls in my top five is because he's one of those guys where the utility guy, you can stick him at first, second, short, third. He gets the job done. He was a really good contact hitter. Like, no matter what, Michael Young's putting the ball in play. He's giving you a shot. So, I, I don't know. I just really liked that aspect of him. Yeah, no, he was fun to watch in the uh... – 2010, 2011 World Series, those runs they were making just because he was such like a stable guy, such a stable presence for that team, really likable guy, uh, just really did everything he did he could to help the team to help the team win. But yeah, no, great, great number five pick. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I was just a huge, huge fan of him. Uh, number four would have to be Cliff Lee, and I say that just because. I when I'm watching those Yankees series in 2008, 2009, 2010, you know, and the Phillies were there, and they had that gauntlet of a rotation with Halliday, Hamels, and Cliff Lee. But uh, I fell in love with Cliff Lee when he started throwing this the spiked curveball. Oh yeah! And I was like, dude, this dude's a like just seeing his craft and the way he went about pitching was just very impressive to me. So I was like, this dude's this dude's unbelievable. Yeah, no, he was definitely a freak, like you were saying. Uh, yeah, didn't one of our friends golf with him? Or Yeah, yeah. Gene, you <laughs> literally played around with him. Like, yeah, the, for those who don't know, we have a very interesting friend who uh, he, he likes golfing anywhere and everywhere he can. And uh, But, yeah, no, Gene, you, what a great guy. And, uh, yeah, he's like, he didn't realize until he was like, what, the 14th like hole? It was interesting. <laughs> Vegas, yes, yes, Vegas. All right, yeah, number three. Let's hear it. Three. So number three is going to be, I mean, I guess this is a hype pick, but, dude, Mike Trout, man, just an absolute menace. Yeah, dude, like, I, I had the pleasure of being able to watch Mike Trout play one time, and the dude hit two home runs, made two sick running catches that I thought for sure were going to be doubles. He caught them, like, waist high. Like, the dude is just a freak athlete. And it's a real shame because I'm not sure how many people know about Mike Trout. Like, just because he plays on the West Coast, his team has been to the playoff one time, and they got swept out of the series. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. With, with the way social media and publicity is, I mean, he – He'll, he's probably more known than you think. But, yeah, he's a stud. Like, he's an absolute freak. Oh, yeah. Like, like no, it, that was one of the more impressive games I've ever seen. And, like, that was just like a day in the life of Mike Trout. Like, <laughs> like the dude is amazing. All right, well, I'll round out my top two with Yankees. So, number two is going to be Mark Teixeira because I played first, and I always loved watching him play defense. He was like Mr. Gold Glove, never made an error. And I really took that true because I hated, hated, hated making errors, man. Like, it's just giving people runs and bases. I couldn't stand it. So I always tried to emulate my game after Teixeira. Yeah, no, it also helps when the dude has won, like, 
I think he's won an MVP award. Like, the dude was amazing, just raking, playing amazing defense. Yeah, no, great pick, great pick, honestly. Switch hitter. Yeah, and then number one, contrary belief, is the captain. Jeter. Uh, Derek Jeter, number one. I was, I was going to throw A-Rod in my top five, but I'm going to leave him out for now. <laughs> But uh, yeah, dude, Jeter. I mean, the pageantry, the camaraderie. I mean, he's a he's a walking highlight, and he just does it the right way, like that inside-out swing. I'm gonna put every ball over the second baseman's head, and like you're not gonna stop me. Was just so fun to watch, dude. He was just a gamer, dude. Whole career. Yeah, no, like yeah, you talked about it, like every ball. He tried to hit every ball over the second baseman's head, like <laughs> a little single into right field, and that that, that was. What's really interesting about Derek Jeter about like he just had this relentless pursuit to get a hit every time he went up to bat. Every single pitch mattered. I think he did some interview after he retired and he's like, someone asked him, was like, did you ever have like an at bat where he just like he just phoned it in? And he's like, What are you talking about? I don't understand. Like he just didn't understand the idea of just phoning in an at bat just for the heck of it. Even if he's got like 210 hits that year like no he's not gonna stop like he wants another hit <laughs> right no I, I i love that about him like competitive nature how how he went about his craft yeah no and uh, i actually read this super funny article in the athletic yesterday uh, uh this guy who he basically like bio chronicled uh, Derek Jeter's life and so what he did with this article was he found the only five pitchers in major league history to face Derek Jeter and strike him out in their only appearance <laughs> and he was <laughs> talking with these guys and they were saying like it was the best moment of my life like I've never had anything like this it was amazing like their whole psyche around that was just I struck out Derek Jeter because Derek Jeter doesn't strike out. Like, he doesn't give up at bats. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> right. No, that, that is hilarious. Like, just, just like, little things like that you never even think of. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, so rounding out today, uh, I try to find a fun story uh, to end every podcast. So, today's fun story is about two people, Bob Serve and Casey Stengel. So Bob Cerf actually survived kamikaze attacks in World War II. Uh, and when he returned, he enrolled at the University of Nebraska. According to the university, he's the only Cornhusker to ever earn four letters each in basketball and baseball. So great athlete, dual athlete. Um, at this, uh, after his career, he put all 10 of his children through college. But in between, he was a three-time New York Yankee. So the Yankees signed him, traded him, tra signed him, traded him, brought him back, let him go, and brought him back again. <laughs> and uh, one of his claims to Yankee fame came in 1961 when he shared an apartment with Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle while they chased Babe Ruth's home run record. Home run record. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Maris hit 61 to break the record, and Mantle hit 54. Bob Serve only hit six that year. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the three of them together, they put up 121 home runs under the same roof. So it's got to be a record of some kind. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the other half of the story is about Casey Stengel, uh, the manager. He rather famously spoke very little with his players. 
One of his players commented, Stengel only spoke five words to him in the nine years he played there. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't like that, man. Yeah, yeah. So Stengel was either a fantastic manager or, more likely, he had the greatest core of athletes probably ever assembled. So, But regardless, in a 12-year stretch from 1949 to 1960, Stengel managed the Yankees to 10 World Series appearances, winning seven of them. And that's just in a 12-year stretch. But so the story really boils down to one probably one minute uh, interaction. So it takes place near the end of the 1956 season uh, when serve was a very little used fifth outfielder for the Yankees. Stengel approached serve on the bench before a game and said, hey, there's not many people that know this, but one of us has been traded to Kansas City. But, yeah, so that was the fun story I found. I did a little bit of back research and um, just to kind of give it, you the perspective on the two guys. But, yeah, Serve actually, uh, two years later, 1958, he actually set the Kansas City home run record for a single season, even after being, like, a little-used outfielder. But, yeah, so that was kind of the funny story I found. You can take it or leave it, comment on it. or But, yeah, so any last thoughts before uh, we hang it up? Ah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a uh, fun chit chatting. I am excited to see what baseball is going to do going forward. And I'm excited to see Yelich, uh, go for another MVP. Yeah. The Yelich is every pirates game I went to, he hit a homer. Like, yeah, I went to like six pirates brewers game. Like, <laughs> He's one of those dudes you'd love to have on your team, but you do not want to face him. Yeah, no, like, he probably falls within my top five, and this was before he was even traded to Milwaukee. Like, I just love, like, the way he played the game. Big fan of his. Like, he's, like, he was kind of like a Derek Jeter type almost, just like, but, like, he he would be hitting, like, doubles to, like, the left center gap. But, yeah, no, I love him. But, yeah, no, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, man, it was great being on.